0: Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to athletic performance coach at the College of William and Mary, Keir Wenham Flat. thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So I'm absolutely delighted to bring you a long, long overdue part two with Keir Wenham-Flat, also known as the Rugby Strength Coach. So a lot's changed in the last five years for Keir, working on multiple different continents um, and ending up in the US. So a really interesting chat talking about that journey from Australia to japan to back to the uk to the us so really interesting journey for anyone who knows and has has read kia's work and we also discuss a lot which along the same lines as my podcast with nick grantham a couple of weeks ago which people seem to absolutely love and, and obviously so did i along the networking relationship building um building second incomes um Along them, them same lines, so not the X's and O's of coaching, but the really important stuff nonetheless. And I don't apologize for wanting to chat about that because I think it's really, really important. We also chat about things that coaches are doing that Keir doesn't believe matter, um, so that's a really interesting part. In uh, as we go further on the podcast, in part two, but it's uh, anyone that's read and listened to Keir speak, you'll know that he's um not scared of, of, of putting his opinion across, which is absolutely fantastic for, a, for, for the podcast. So it's going to be an episode that you will absolutely love.
1: I've learned the hard way that the worst kind of team to, to go into and work with is a team that's successful because teams or athletes who experience, experience success believe that everything they've done is the reason for their success. And ignore the fact that they may have achieved success
0: in spite of a lot of what they've done. So just before we do get into this episode of the podcast, I want to say a big thanks to Vald Performance, makers of the Nordboard, Grindbar, Bar, Human Track, and now Force Decks. So the big news coming out of Valve Performance is that acquisition of 4 and all the staff, the fantastic staff, that come along with that acquisition. So a really exciting development in terms of what Valve Performance can offer in terms of uh, testing solutions. So may, you've maybe heard of the Nordboard, you've maybe heard of the groin bar. Um, but if you are interested in an affordable uh, motion capture device, make sure you have a little look at HumanTrack. And also, there is a post recently on LinkedIn from Dr. Daniel Cohen, who was the uh, one of the founders of Forstex, and explains why they decided to partner with Val Performance moving forwards. So, I definitely encourage you to check that out. And if you are interested in any of the Val Performance products, head over to ValPerformance.com or follow them on Twitter at ValPerformance. So, big thanks to them, guys, for sponsoring this episode today. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Eccentric. So, Eccentric are a Sweden-based company and is a developer of the groundbreaking flywheel training tools, the K-Box and the K-Poly. And since its founding in 2011, Eccentric products have gone on to be used in Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, NFL, NBA, a number of uh, other leagues around the world, including the EPL, where Leicester City, Chelsea and Arsenal are among their customers. So just give you a brief bit of background on flywheel training with the K-Box and the K-Poly. So backed up by multiple academic research studies, it's been shown to increase strength training effectiveness by not relying on gravity but the inertia of the flywheel. So that improves the efficiency of training programs while lowering the total cost as compared to traditional training methods. So if you'd like to know more about Eccentric's products, the K-Box and the K-Poly, head over to their website, which is eccentric.com, and that's spelled E-X-X-E-N-T-R-I-C.com, or follow them on Twitter or on Instagram at go underscore eccentric. So without further ado, over to the episode with Kia wenem Flat. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So this evening, I have the pleasure in speaking to Mr. Ruby Strength Coach Kieran and flat So welcome to the podcast for a part two, Kier. How's it going, mate? Very, very well. Thank you very much. Thanks for giving up your Sunday or a little bit of your Sunday anyway. Um, just want to give us a bit of an update on. I mean, I know it's a long update given we spoke on the podcast five years ago, um, but just give us a bit of an update on what's going on with you. Obviously, been a couple of transitions recently. And then we'll use that as a bit of a, a base to bounce off from and uh, get some good conversation going.
1: You want me to pick up from when we last spoke? Absolutely. Why not? God damn. All right. You're going to make me talk about the worst six months of my career. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a has happened,
1: well, mate. A lot has happened. So I was, um, when we last spoke, I was at Sydney Roosters. And, uh, yeah, it didn't go well. But, you know, <laughs> I think it's like... You, you speak to you speak to people on the internet, and people like to uh, only talk about their successes and, and stuff like that. But I have to, you know, I'm quite honest about the uh, the stint in
0: City Roosters. It was not very successful for me. So, um, if you don't if you don't if you don't mind, I'm going to jump in, mm-hmm. and just based on the fact that, like you said, people only talk about the the positive things. What what wasn't what wasn't positive out of that experience, from your uh... point of view? Like, obviously not need to bug anyone but
1: no 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 I mean it was it was a difficult situation in that I arrived to do one job um, which was I was, I was I was the head of academy so basically any, anyone outside the first team I was responsible for so it would be like 16s 18s 20s and you know for a, a bunch of different reasons within three weeks I got called into the office and they said right we need a head of strength we need a head of speed strength and power do you want to do it and I was like yep and, you know, I didn't, I didn't really listen beyond the, okay, well, here's the, here's the, the stipulations that we're going to put on that job and, and how we expect you to work and blah, 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 blah. And so I, I did that and then, you know, I've, I've, I've learned the hard way that the worst kind of team to, to go into and work with is a team that's successful because teams or athletes who experience, experience success believe that everything they've done is the reason for their success and ignore the fact that they may have achieved success in spite of a lot of what they've done. And how do I put this politically correct? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, it's, I'm, I'm, you know, I I, I do want to be respectful, but basically it, it became, it became apparent that eventually what they were after was not what I was about. and, it, it would have been very very easy for me to sit there and cash a check and just get on with it but i i decided that you know i'm i'm the situation i'm in i'm not pushing myself to be ab- to be absolutely the best coach that i can be i'm not learning i am not um, i'm not loving what i'm doing So I I caught myself one day on the computer, multiplying my weekly wage by how many weeks I thought I could tolerate on a calculator. And I thought, (laughs) nope, time time to resign. So I resigned, Um, resigned without a job to go to. And um, then (laughs) the the torrent of messages (laughs) flowed in of like, what have you done? And um, bizarrely enough, I interviewed for, um, I got an interview for Head of Strength at Western Force that night which thankfully I, I didn't get. And um, yeah, basically I rang up Argentina. Well, I rang up Exos and said, uh, Here, here's the deal. Um, I, was, I, I believe I was happier when I was working for you because of the autonomy, because you, know, you kind of let me get on with it. I, I felt much happier in that environment. Uh, I understand that you're not going to send me back to Argentina. You're probably going to send me to China, but if you need someone, I'm available. And they said, oh, well, actually your replacement for the pumas has has dropped out so you can be your own replacement and they said <laughs> you you, uh, you have to go back and if you, if the all blacks offer you a million bucks your answer is no so you're going to stay with them until the end of the world cup do you understand i said yep no problem and um yeah you know we did we think two more years of that and then it it ended with i would prefer to say an overachievement at the world cup the project went very very well and um this the start of that year in 2015 they they'd started tapping me up to be the the head of performance for basically the whole organization so the the pumas the jaguars uh sevens women's all, all the youth stuff so basically trying to put in in place those high performance structures to try and you know w- win a world cup in 2019 and there was there was a couple of contractual things with exos whereby the UAR wanted to terminate with exos exos for very very good reasons have a non-compete and um uar said well we, we don't want to pay exos anymore and they said what right you're not going to have Kira anymore and that was it <laughs> so my my reward at the end of that was uh, to have no job and um luckily an agent had contacted me about maybe a month before the world cup and i ended up going out to japan for two years so again another uh, very, very different environment. You know, culturally, I think I went from one end of the spectrum to the other. Um, you know, guys like crying in the locker room, giving each other kisses after the game to just, you know, Japanese culture is very, very different. And um, that had a bunch of challenges to it. Um, and I, I kind of made the, the decision whilst I was out there. I thought, well, you know, what's, what's the ultimate goal in, in rugby, and obviously the ultimate goal is to to go and try and win a World Cup. And I thought um, Argentina done and dusted. They actually asked me to go back in the first year, and we were kind of you know talking about numbers and talking about dates, and I realised actually time has passed. You know, I'm, I, what's done is done. I'm not I'm not going to go back to that. So that that was not going to happen. Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. Only going to hire internally from you know people of that nationality. Um, fair to say that my face. Probably doesn't fit with certain aspects of, of UK strength conditioning, so I probably wasn't going to get the England job. And you know, I, I know the guy that has the England job now; he's a great guy, great coach. And um, I thought, well, obviously that that's that's done and dusted. So I did the two years and um, got got some decent money, and I decided to take the plunge and and come out to the USA and and try and get into the next stage of my career.
0: Nice, and Where then I am? oh and yeah, the, the, the USA. Little, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. I
1: just did. Uh, I did. So I got here in January. So I, I finished in Tokyo on the 15th of January. I flew back to uh, London for uh, – have you interviewed Sam Portland?
0: Um, he came on on a round table, early doors. Okay. So I went yep. straight into a bender with him for his birthday, his 30th.
1: <laughs> I had one, one day of recovery, one day of dinner with my family, and then I was on the plane to America. And then I started at University of Richmond on the Monday, the 21st. And, um, yeah, basically I I started completely again at the bottom, bottom assistant, bottom pay, kind of learning the ropes of the the collegiate system over here and had a few different teams. And um, they were very, very gracious to let me get involved with American football from the start and and get to know the boys and, and work with those guys, which was extremely rewarding, a uh, great environment to be in. I think it really, uh, really aligns well with my personality and how I like to work. And uh, what happened was I presented at a couple of conferences. This year I presented at a track football consortium in um, Central Virginia. And there was a guy there named Eric Corum, who's just finished up a three-year stint in the NFL with um, – the, the Texans, you know, also worked at FSU, University of Kentucky. You can you can check him out. He's a great practitioner, a great guy, and he basically invited me to um, go to where I'm now at the University of William and Mary, part of me, the College of William and Mary, and um, we're uh, we're undertaking, I, w- I would say, a fairly ambitious high performance project right now, and um, it's extremely enjoyable but quite daunting to. Um, to be working with him to, to try and turn that into reality, but you know all of the all of the things that I've tried to uh, implement in my work and talk about as a coach, we we have a really good opportunity here to turn it into a reality. Um, there's obviously going to be some growing pains with that with with you know the different sports and the institution that we're trying to to do it with, but I think if if we can make it work, it will it will end up being a, a very very good example to, to other institutions about how an athletic department can be run
0: mm-hmm. nice so just on that and I, I i went through your insta stories today with the another q a which are always uh, very entertaining and <laughs> someone met so someone I, I, I can't remember what the question was but you'd mentioned about nfl been the been the goal that you want to achieve mm-hmm. in terms of career wise have you had Have you gone through the process of actually constructing a personal development plan with that as the end goal? Or in your head, has that been the goal and you've just known what steps to take to be able to get there? Or has that been a conscious thing? I want to get there, therefore I need to do this, then I need to do this, and that will get me to the end goal. I think if you don't have that mindset, you're not going to be a good coach because
1: being a coach is all about – Identifying certain objectives, reverse engineering the process, and removing obstacles on the way to that objective, and ticking them off in a sequential fashion, to uh, to hopefully get what you want. Um, I've I've been fortunate enough, lucky enough to to realise that it's not um, not necessarily money that is the best thing about coaching. Um, you know, I've been I put it in a blog post recently, like about maybe like a month ago. It's like some of the some of the most enjoyable work I've done. The most purpose that I felt has been when I was getting paid nothing or, or minimum wage, and other times I've been getting paid more than I earned in a year. My first year of coaching in a month, and just not looking forward to going to work. So, it's it's all about to me. Big groups of people, elite athletes, that you get front seat to, you know, front row seat to, to see do their thing, to watch masters of what they do, to to be a small part of their success, to be around that kind of uh, electric atmosphere of a big crowd, work on the highest stage, and basically, you know, a, a little bit of ego to try and compete and show that you know I'm I'm a really good coach, and that's that's what it's all about for me. And you know, I I've, I was fairly vocal. Maybe not online because I wasn't online around that time. But when I when I first started coaching, when I was a first an intern, I was turning twenty five, and I said, right, my objective is to be a head strength conditioning coach in the English Premiership um, by the time I'm thirty. And you know, I was, I was twenty eight when we last spoke at the Roosters. I I thought, yeah, I've, I've basically done that. Then managed to go to the World Cup by the time I was thirty. And I was like, oh, what do I do now? <laughs> so I was, I was like, all right, I'm going to try and get into the NFL.
0: If I'm just writing something down there. Um, if you'd have been told that when you were 25, that yeah. it's not the, about the money side of things, not been the, most, the best, you know, most enjoyable part of the, um, the journey, mm-hmm. would that have changed anything you'd have done along the way? Would that personal development plan have changed
1: No, probably not, just because it's the the money is useful. It's useful in that it gives you a certain amount of freedom to to do what you want to do. And to be honest, it's, you know, having done the internship thing for a year, and I'm sure the industry is a lot worse now than it was eight years ago. But, you know, seeing the words card denied flash up at frigging little. Is is a stressful situation, and I've 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 experienced it. And um, to to put that to one side and concentrate on doing good work, Um, you know, obviously it's a little bit different now with you know baby on the way and and not getting paid. You know, to be honest, at Richmond I was getting paid less than minimum wage for the hours I was doing. But you know, there was a two year period in Japan where I I just didn't look at my bank account because I saved ninety five percent of what they paid me. And I just try to get on and do good work. So it's it, it frees you up a little bit to to concentrate on um, what you want to do. But you know, I like I said, I compared to Japan, I felt more excitement and more purpose and more autonomy as an unpaid intern at Wasps than than I did in Japan.
0: Mm-hmm. So, in terms of um, the industry, having you mentioned that about changing from eight years ago. To where it is now. And I know you're not in the UK, mm-hmm. and that, but that doesn't make a difference to the, to the question. How's that? How's that changed? What's your perspective on it from eight years ago compared to now? In terms of what what a coach can expect coming up, and then we'll get onto the nitty gritty about where people and how people can position themselves to best achieve that. They can
1: expect to eat shit, basically. <laughs> yep. <laughs> because. Yep. The, the nature of, of economics and oh, the nature of capitalism is that individuals in the marketplace compete with one another. And typically, the end result of that competition is a higher quality product for less price. So the phone that you have in your hand probably costs, let's say, $500 or you know, 300 quid or whatever it is. And you have more computing power in your hand than sent men to the moon 50 years ago that cost billions of dollars. (laughs) That's the nature of competition. So the nature of competition between individuals in the marketplace for strength and conditioning is that 25 years ago, you could get a job by being someone's friend with no qualifications, never worked with athletes, oh, but he likes to train. Whereas the, the competition within the marketplace has pushed the bar up and up and up and up so that now to intern for the EIS, you need to have a master's degree, a degree, several years of experience, UKSE accreditation, and you know, all the other boxes that they want you to tick. And guess what? The price has gone down. So you you can't you you can't applaud capitalism on the one hand and buy your cheap TV, buy your cheap phone and love all of these technological advancements outside of your own life. And then complain when you're a victim of those circumstances in your life. So, what's, what's the solution to those problems? Well, one is I think eventually strength conditioning is going to have to unionize because there has to be some kind of power put back in the hands of the workers because it is professional or, or high performance sport exploitative. Of the workers? Absolutely, yes, they are. So there it needs to effectively be like a picket line and say, right, unless your institution can do X, Y, Z for your employees, guarantee this level of, um, of compensation, this kind of quality of life for your employees, we will not advertise your job. Um, we will publicly shame you. I forget who it was. It was the IRFU put a job up and then people just jumped on it. Yes, the the
0: PhD. I think it's
1: PhD one. Yeah. Yeah. So a little bit of shame like that, but at the end of the day, what is going to happen is is when supply exceeds demand, prices will go down, and we have, I think it's you know on average ten thousand strength conditioning or, or sports science graduates a year coming out of universities for a relatively fixed number of jobs, and. What's going to happen is the wages will go, I, I hope they've bottomed out, but what's, what's probably happened is they're going to continue to go down until, until it trickles back to universities or, or people applying to university and people will say, don't even bother with it because it's going to be a miserable existence, there's no security, you're not going to make any money, and people will get put off. And then what will happen is the supply will start to come down until it's in line with demand and it may even be less than demand and then the wages will go up again. And it will continue to go up and down like that until you know the, the the field becomes obsolete. So I think Seth Godin, has I forget which book it was, but he, he writes about this. And he said, you know, poets, poetry is a noble pursuit, but poets don't make any money anymore. And they used to make a lot of money back in the day. And that doesn't mean that there's not going to be any poets. It's just that poets understand that if you want to write poetry, you're not going to do it for a living. And you have to have some kind of other recourse to allow you to fulfill your passion. And like I put up on Instagram the other day, it's like if you are not working for yourself outside of strength conditioning or having a secondary stream of income, you are not anti-fragile. If you're any fans of Nassim Taleb, anti-fragility is basically the ability to withstand variable conditions. And there's two kinds of strength coaches ones who are unemployed or ones who are going to be soon unemployed. So you have to be robust to those conditions and and try and bolster yourself against unpredictability. And, and secondary income is the way forward, in, in my opinion, to do that. So how long
0: have you had a secondary income? Ever since the day I started becoming an intern. And it, it started... Take us, take us through your secondary income history. Well,
1: started by accident, like... I was literally writing programs for guys that I played with. Um, you know, and I was probably, ch- I was charging in line with with my level of expertise at the time. I think I used to charge like 10 pounds for like a 12 week program. Um, <laughs> I don't charge that now. So, you know, I was just doing that and I was like, well, you know, when, when you see card decline flash up, you're like, right, something needs to change. And I was doing Three different jobs at the time that I did my internship, and my my second year at Wasps, and basically I realised with with the website, you know, my my first website was called TrainingByCare.com, and it turns out if your you is, if your product is for everyone, your product is for no one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I actually put I can't remember what website it was. T R, and what came up in my browser was train trained by care. Oh, there you there go. It doesn't exist so anymore. So like this, I'm, no. I uh, won't, well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, I press delete because I knew it wouldn't And um, uh, yeah. No It just got to the point where like
1: my my professional career was getting to the point where I only had credibility in rugby. You know, I'm not I'm not don't look like an Instagram model. I'm I'm not gonna sell myself to that crowd. So I thought, right, well I've got credibility in rugby. And I think at that point I'd had training by Kia Facebook for four years. I begged, borrowed, and stealed 750 people to like the page and i thought well i've only got this credibility in rugby i'm i'm going to niche down so i niche down into rugby strength coach one day 1500 likes and basically i've tried to i've i've tried to put out there kind of like a venn diagram where all these different things meet of what interests me what i think is useful to to people out there and to address what i see as shortcomings or flaws within the within the industry Because I love the phrase, don't tell me the pain of labor, just give me the fucking baby. So there's too many people (laughs) out there that no end of bitching about strength and conditioning. What's wrong with our field? What's wrong with this? What's wrong with that? It's like, well, what are you going to do about it? So if if there's people out there complaining that um, they can't get a job or they can't get a callback, well, I'm going to put together a community where – you can get your resume critiqued and I'll introduce you to other coaches and you can, I'll give you advice on how to set up your network. And I'll like literally people come onto that community. I'd say once a month and say, I've got a job interview. What should I do? And there's, there's me and probably 10 other people coaching them up on how to pass this interview and do the practical task like that. And it's, that honestly makes it all worthwhile when people come back and say, wow, I got the job. Thanks very much. So that's, that's been an extremely rewarding thing about that. And, what was the Rugby Strength Coach community? You can now check it out. It's, it's literally been launched in like the last two weeks. StrengthCoachNetwork.com. So I'm I'm branching out. Um, I'm going to try and add people to the network. We have a bunch of new people, um, some very prominent people that you may have heard of that will be joining as as resident experts. And if you would, if you would like to really get into the weeds with those guys and ask some questions and get access to uh, video lectures by them you can, you can find that at strengthcoachnetwork.com and, um, we can talk after this. I'll give you a
0: code if you want that can, uh, give your, your listeners a little bit of a sweeter deal if you want. Definitely. No, that sounds good. Just on the, on the network side of things, because this is something that I know we spoke, we've spoken about probably going back five years Yeah, and gave me some sound advice. You did a couple of, couple of, um, workshops and things, didn't you? And can, I think you came to Manchester at one point. Yeah. Um, and some some advice on books and etc we'll get on to books in the next i know you love the question of what books should we read um <laughs> so what what part in your in your development as a as a coach what part has network played and how have you been able to leverage network build a network and then leverage that to your advantage
1: well there's only so many times you can lose out on a job and have the, the sneaking suspicion that you were more qualified than the person that got the job before the, uh, the penny drops. And, uh-huh. um, yeah, you know, I won't go into specifics, but you know, I've, I've, I've been <laughs> on the receiving end of a decision at a job interview where it just patently obvious, like the, the feedback at the interview was, well, we thought you were technically the better candidate the interview, but we're not going to give it to you. And I was like, Hmm. Okay. <laughs> so uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it's, it's massive because all things being equal, people will, will hire and want to work with people that they know, like, and trust. And all things not being equal, they still want to work with people that they know, like, and trust. <laughs> and it, it's been massive. So what what would I change from five, six, seven years ago is that, I've, I, I think I wrote about this, is it's depth, not breadth. And... What I mean by that is, you know, I I literally have to rock up to somewhere I like, in, especially in England. I put I'm I'm in this place in England, and I get twenty. Oh, do you want to have a coffee? Well, no, I don't want to have a fucking coffee because I know what you want. <laughs> <laughs> and that that's breadth. It's just superficial interactions with coaches lovely to meet you where are you from blah 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 and it's like that's that's not what it's about i i think true career progression comes from a limited number of very very deep relationships with with and it it can be prominent individuals in the field but you try and find someone that uh, that has a similar philosophy to you that understands you likes you trusts you that that you can be helpful to and hopefully they can help you with, and that is the way forward in my opinion. Not twenty different guys that know you just know your name and a little bit of information about you. Because guess what? It, when the, when the job comes up, they're probably going to pick the person in their network that they have the deepest relationship with. And um, that's that's the only thing I would change. But net, network is everything, everything, and you you have to be strategic about it because I think the analogy that I've used before is like, is Amazon. What's the first thing that you do when you when you look at something on Amazon that you want to purchase? You probably look at the price and then the second thing is you look at the the reviews. What are other people saying about this product? And the same thing is going to happen to uh, to you when you apply for a job. People are going to look at you and say, right, what do other people say about this person? And that is network. If nobody knows you exist, if, if you don't have prominent people within the field that say good things about you, you are at a disadvantage over the people that may be less qualified that do have that. So you know, I, I made a decision 2011. I'm never again going to be the guy with the qualifications but not the connections. Ideally, I'm going to be both. And um, yeah, sometimes it goes my way, sometimes it doesn't, but I think every job I've had since then, apart from one, they've asked me to apply. So maybe it's working.
0: So how did you, what was the first steps you took to actually flip the switch and start to build them relationships and not just the, like you say, the breadth, but the depth?
1: Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Keith Mm -hmm. Ferrazzi, Never Eat Alone. Um,
0: Maybe a couple of other books. But just basically... They They both came up in a chat with Nick Grantham, which is by the time this comes out will have been 2 yeah. weeks ago fundamentals so the fundamentals do not change it's
1: you humans are reciprocal oh influence uh robert cialdini is it it's it's basically humans are reciprocal beings if i do something for you that that primes you and puts you in a state where you are more likely to do something for me and you know, sometimes it is, it's just nice to do something for somebody else and say, well, how can I help you out? And, and most people, I, I like in the process of networking to meeting a woman. So firing off the unsolicited uh, cold call email of can I have a job is the equivalent of approaching a woman in a bar and saying fancy a fuck. will say no and the one that says yes is not the one that you want to go home with same thing with jobs if you want to meet the partner of your dreams you probably have to introduce yourself uh, establish some conversation perhaps exchange uh, contact information uh, keep communicating express a desire to see them again go on a few dates become a a regular relationship moving with one another all that kind of stuff So what you're looking for is small, initially small commitments, um, initially small interruptions to people that then you can progressively build on that relationship over time. So just uh, emailing someone, hello, I like your work, Uh, great job, can I ask you a few questions about this? You're probably going to get a reply. If you send that to someone and say, oh, can I have a job? You're going to get a note. You're going to get the, the equivalent of the slap in the face. So, you know, build from there. Can I ask another question? Can I understand, you know, how you face this challenge? What, uh, what's, what's new in your world? Can you recommend some books to me? Oh, by the way, I just read this book. I think you might like it. I've got this. I used to have a Dropbox. When Dropbox was new, I used to have a Dropbox full of all these resources, and I would give it to any coach and say, oh, maybe there's something in there that you um, that you haven't seen before that you might find useful, and I'd send it off to him. Uh, shamefully, I arrived in the US and guess what? I sent four different guys in the NFL, a free membership to my website. Oh, here's this presentation I just did at a track consortium. Do you like it? And guess what? They all liked it. <laughs> and, you know, now I'm in regular correspondence with a few of them. So it's, it's just ultimately be a nice person, be valuable, build relationships slowly and, and genuinely, and hope that when the opportunity arises – you're the first person they think of.
0: So we're just going to go for a quick break in the chat with Kier. hope you're part one. So in part two, we get into a bit of a discussion around some of the things that Kier believes coaches are spending way too much time on and could be spending their time better elsewhere, which brings us to Kier's view on Franz Bosch, uh, his methods that he uses. So a really interesting part two, which I am sure you'll really enjoy. But just before we do get into part two with Kia, just want to say a big thanks to Black Box Fitness for sponsoring this episode today. So Black Box are a performance gym equipment manufacturer based in uh, Belfast in Northern Ireland. So uh, Black Box do some really cool custom stuff that you can have a little look on their um, very cool Instagram page. So that's at BLKBoxFitness. So they ship their equipment all around the world, from Australia to Europe to the US, Um, did Everton Football Club's gym not too long ago, which is very, very impressive. So a really cool um, set of guys over there. So if you're looking for a complete gym fit out or just uh, extra bits to add to what you've already got, please consider Black Box Fitness. They're, really, like I say, really cool bunch of guys. Um, so you can check them out on their website, which is blkboxfitness.com, and on Twitter and Instagram, at blkboxfitness. Another little... Um, addition to this episode is Kia has um, has very kindly given a code to me to give to you, the listener. So we discuss his uh, Strength Coach Network uh, towards the end of the podcast. But if you are interested in trying uh, Strength Coach Network, you can have uh, two days free access for $1. So normally you would uh, pay $24.99 for a month's uh, membership, and that will be a continual, uh, a continual payment. But if you put in Pacey, so that's P-A-C-E-Y, into the uh, co- checkout code, you can have two, uh, two days uh, access to Strength Coach Network for just one dollar. So give it a go, and um, and let me know what you think. So over to part two with Kia. Hope you enjoy. After the chat with Nick had um, a week ago. Uh, this this came up in conversation with I think it was on Instagram and there was a, there was a guy that had, that had commented on one of my posts and was talk we were talking about this and he said but I, I, I um, comment on people's posts I drop people an email and I say that obviously like the work people that he does admire but then I was we got a bit more further into the conversation and he was like but I'm struggling to figure out how I can benefit someone that's like I've got two years experience. How can I give value to someone that's got ten years or fifteen years experience, so I'm guessing that you're in that upper bracket now who've got, the, got a bit of experience uh-huh. done quite a bit and i are, rec- are receiving them emails oh absolutely so what like i mean how can how can people add value to you well i i put
1: it on, I put it on Instagram because i mean obviously I anonymized it I had an email from a guy who'd you know, gone up to the girl in the bar, your place or mine. He's, he (laughs) drops me an email that says, Oh, here's my resume. That's very American. Here's my CV. Here's my CV. Here's all this experience I've got, which was, it was, you know, he, he put glitter on the turd. It was not experience. (laughs) And, uh, here's, here's, here's what I can bring to your department. And I replied to him by email. I said, I said, I said, I, I, I understand the situation you're in. I've been in the situation you're in, but the reality is, is that someone of your experience and at the stage of your career is not gonna bring anything new to an NCAA division one department. So I said, what do you have? You have enthusiasm, you have availability, and that's, that's pretty much all you got. Maybe, maybe you have some, some technical skills or just just availability. If you set the bar low enough In terms of what you can offer someone somewhere will say yes if it's data entry if it's running stats if it's um trimming video clips like i used to have to like beat my interns over the head to to film uh agility speed in slow-mo trim the video group it by position get all those videos ready for me and now if someone out there is listening and wants to do that i will take you up on that offer and i will send you a bunch of raw video (laughs) and you can trim it for me and then I will owe you one. That's that's an example. If all you have is, is time and enthusiasm, offer that.
0: Mm-hmm. Good call. I like it. And so just just going back to the people that message you and say, I want to grab a coffee, that's not the way to do it.
1: No. Uh, you know, it's um, you know, how should they do it? i just you know, I think it's always <laughs> I mean if 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 I know you prior to that and then you say do you want to get coffee I'll probably say yes yeah absolutely actually I've, yep. to be honest I raised the bar in Japan they have to buy me dinner now <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah you know
0: just uh, it, it helps they know you first um, mm-hmm. but I think it's and, and, and someone someone that you know and they know always goes down a tree oh yeah mutual connection I, I know yeah, so. definitely, definitely yeah of course yeah
1: um, but it's like when when you get yeah, you know, let's say when you get 10 emails a month, it's like, you know, it's, it's it, it, the more the more frequently you get those approaches, the less tolerant of them you become, unfortunately. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, just move, move on a little bit away from the networking relationship side of things. And this is me stalking your Instagram, which I'm sure quite a lot of people do anyway. So it's nothing new. Um, you put in a, something on about coaches thinking that certain things matter when they actually don't. Yeah. And I'd just like you to elaborate and then maybe give us some examples and I'd put in the little thing that I fired over to you about that unbelievable video that was online with the guy in the mask. In the <laughs> oh, mate, that was absolutely incredible. Yeah, well. But yeah, what, what, do you, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Okay, so have you got Graham Morris on here? Um, No,
1: you need to get Graham on. Graham is by relative to the resources that he has runs the best rugby league strength and conditioning program in Australia. In my opinion, he is, he is providing a level of service to his guys that is just unreal. You know, like he is, he's an awesome guy, awesome coach. And, um, you know, anyone listening to this who is looking to hire a coach should hire him, but good friend of mine from, from the time in Australia. And, um, he came to visit me in Japan two years ago. And then last year we decided to go to to Thailand to a place called Tiger Muay Thai. So he's, he, uh, fights Muay Thai. I do jujitsu and I wanted to try Muay Thai. So we went to Thailand for a week to have a blowout as well. And, um, You know, we we were just, we went there and we we were training four hours a day, but we were getting beaten up on a daily basis. And Graham's like, at that time, was like 105 kilos. He's a professional strength coach. I mean, he's got injuries and that, but he's he's a big, strong guy. And I watched him get thrown around the room by a 65 kilo Thai guy. And having done jujitsu, you know, the amount of times that I got just bent into by literally, I'm not joking, a five foot three Brazilian guy. And he, like, he, he was fighting in a 55-kilo class and didn't have to cut weight. Just unreal. It, it, it puts the value of tactics and technique relative to physical preparation in perspective. And, you know, it, I, I do a lot of thinking in the shower. I was thinking in the shower like a thought experiment. So right, if I give you an athlete that all they do is practice their sport with intensity and purpose – and they just become a PhD of their sport. And you have someone that only trains physical preparation and is the complete opposite. Put them against one another, who's going to win? The PhD, right? PhD. Yeah, the PhD in their sport. Absolutely. Then, of course. So, how, how much does strength conditioning matter? Well, you can, you can only get beaten up by the, the, the midget Brazilian so many times. You can, o- you can only <laughs> see... So many times, the the slob in the gym that moves like shit but absolutely carves it up on the pitch. You can only see so many guys that look like Tarzan, play like Jane, to realize, like, ultimately, to what, I, what I do really doesn't matter. Um, I think the more scope there is for tactical, technical preparation compared to physical, the less direct impact on performance the strength coach has so a a highly highly tactical game like football um rugby is obviously a little bit more physical uh cricket all that kind of stuff there are guys there that just like have probably never done a hard day's training in their life they're still going to be elite level players they're still going to be hugely successful highly physical disciplines like track and field the reverse is true but in certainly in, in a lot of field based sports the role of the strength coach is basically to do what you can to, to maximize motor potential and, and the efficient application of force and to make athletes robust to the environment they're training and playing in and, and basically after that get out of their way and try and advise the sport coaches on how best to structure the program and is that is that a disappointing thing to hear as a strength coach when you say, well, ultimately, if you were to walk out of that door and not come back tomorrow, it probably wouldn't be evident <laughs> on the field for at least a month. And then even then it would just be because of the injuries. It wouldn't be because of the actual performance, a lot of it. So yes, that can be frustrating if you, if you have your strength and conditioning hat on. But then if you expand your horizons a little bit and understand that you are – a high performance coach not a strength and conditioning coach you you open yourself up to a lot more avenues to enhance performance to work with tactical and technical coaches to to think about psychological preparation and true high performance concepts and then you really can have some influence on the field but you know taking taking an athlete from 150 kilo squat to 175 kilo squat is not about to turn them into, you know, my environment now, an all American. Even it, and because ultimately at that level, it doesn't really transfer to to explosive movement on the field of play. And even adding, you know, there are there are guys that have, that have added, you know, I had a guy add three inches to his vert in a few months. And, you know, he was good before. He's still good now. He's just maybe just a little bit more more repeatable. So it's it, it maybe that realization forces your role into perspective a little bit more, but if you just reframe that and, and widen your horizons,
0: you can you can actually have more influence, not less. When did you realize that? And was that difficult to take? And do you think it's difficult to take for other people once they realize that too? Just a
1: little, little. You know, I, I always think realization is not like a you know thunderclap or like a eureka moment. It's no. like. You just see these things again and again. You're like, "Hmm, that doesn't make any sense. Like, (laughs) oh, we've got this number eight that plays for Argentina that he's 105 kilos and his back squat max is 130 kilos. And he's running over these guys and getting man of the match awards. (laughs) And then we've got the guy with the, you know, the three meter 15 broad jump who sat on the bench getting splinters in his ass. (laughs) Well, you know, one of them is the the strength finishing coach's teacher's pet and the other one... Literally, I caught him smoking when we went to dinner one night. I <laughs> mean, the guy—he's the guy getting the accolades. Um, you know, seeing seeing Graham get thrown around by this Thai guy, seeing me get beaten up by this midget Brazilian, and you—you you try and look at the athletes you have in front of you and say, "Are my are my biggest, strongest, fastest guys the best players?" And the answer is almost always no. And when the answer is yes the chances are you have a world-class player on your hands because they have the, the full package. Like a Sonny Bill Williams, for example. He's he's basically a 10 out of 10 in every area. And that's that's why it's so rare. And if you had to pick between technical, tactical, um, and physical, you're going to pick technical, tactical first. And um, what, what that realization forces you to, to do is understand – if I am taking up so much time that I actually detract from the opportunity to do more ta- tactical technical work—the stuff that actually makes them good at their sport—I may be having my pound of flesh and making their squat, ju- uh, squat bench, deadlift, vert, broad go up. but I'm not actually making them a better athlete, and I, you know it kind of it reinforces the need for a minimalist approach in which you get maximum adaptation for the minimum amount of stress and physical cost and time because you you are a supporting member of the cast, you're not the star.
0: I like that. Is there what's gonna say? Oh yeah, is there any examples of trends that you're seeing, whether that be from visiting coaches to people that you speak to and hear and, and hear about, is there any trends that you see that people are putting a bunch of time into a certain thing that you just feel is a waste of time? Um, You know, I hate to go on about it, but the, the whole like
1: Franz Bosch water bag stuff is, is, I think it's gone, you know, the pendulum is really swung. Talk to us about it. that. Oh, it's tough. Like I, you know, I did a, I did an episode of my podcast yesterday with John Kylie, who he put forth a very considered argument for that kind of stuff, and I would say guys like him, John Pryor, Chris Corfis, Tony Holler, these are, funnily enough, track and field guys that have worked in track and field or or do work in track and field. So they have a concern for the numbers and demonstrating what they do works in the real world. You ask Franz Bosch for a case study or documentation of of sprinters improving their numbers. I've yet to see it. If someone can find it, send it to me, but I've I've yet to see it. And my criticism of his approach is that he waits basically for a team that he's worked with to do well. And he points to it and say, oh, look, it works. (laughs) And he doesn't win the failures, you know. So Wales, ton of injuries at the last World Cup. Where was Franz Bosch? So no, to be seen. not that I'm calling him out personally, but you know, he put he put forward <laughs> So so sorry, go ahead. Go on, mate, sorry. No, 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 go well, on. Well, no, he just put forward sorry. a very, very good case, which is uh, movement requires on a continuous loop of of sensory feedback and control of spinal reflexes to be truly efficient and um, rehab often impairs sensory feedback proprioception that kind of stuff so that stuff has real value in rebooting the nervous system to get that stuff back and and put the necessary foundation in place to, to uh, retrain movement and, and expose guys to, to higher loads and you know I, I can't prove it but I've been uh more, more shower thinking. I put it in a blog as well. It's like the Bugatti Veyron is the fastest um, production car in the world. I think it is, or you know, it's, it's up there. But why is it that the Taliban drive Toyota Hiluxes all over Afghanistan? Robustness, right? In unpredictable environments, the Bugatti is going to break. And the the Hilux is going to be robust to a, a varying unpredictable environment. So specialization is the enemy of robustness. So the trick to athletic performance, I think, is developing athletes which are specialized enough to excel at a limited number of skills, because that's how people make their living, whilst making them robust enough to deal with changing unpredictable environments. So it's great that you can sprint in a straight line, not thinking about it with fairly stable conditions from rep to rep. Well, what happens if you're off balance? What happens if the ground is is uh, soft in some places, hard in other places? What happens if uh, someone's pushed you? What happens if you're fatigued? All that kind of stuff. Those are varying, unpredictable conditions that you have to be robust to. So perhaps there is some value to that stuff, I'm not sure, I'm not 100% sure that it, it truly makes you uh, faster and more powerful because Jamaican track and field has probably never seen a water bag, and yet they're still dominating track and field. Uh, the US collegiate setting has produced, I think, you know, Christian Coleman, uh, Trayvon Brumel, Andre Degrasse running their best times, probably never seen a water bag. But maybe it makes those patterns more robust to unpredictable environments and which are typical of field-based sports. So perhaps there's some value there. But, you know, I think coaches see that kind of shit and they don't necessarily think through the process and justify its existence in their program. They just select from the, uh, the training buffet and uh, give it a go and put it on Instagram, which gives me things to talk about. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Keep yeah. it coming. So is there, is there merit in that being a small part of it, small part of a program because you think it may work, you're not quite sure, rather than a big chunk of it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Stuart McMillan writes about it, It's like 80% no, yeah. 15% hunch, 5% is pure guess. Mm-hmm. Building... Where would this lie in your opinion? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even like Baz van Horen who's like, my understanding is like he's like the digs out the studies to back up what Franz is talking about because Graham's like Graham's like knocking knocking on his door to get all these references, and he said, "Oh, I've, I've been sent these studies, and they're all you know theoretical models or uh, animal studies. There's no interventions with with human athletes." I said, "Oh, we did this with a water bag for six weeks, and this was the results," which. To me, it's pretty important, so it's it's absolutely a guess. Um. So yeah, I mean, if you're if you're building your entire program around that kind of stuff without concentrating on the the, the essentials of just getting your athletes uh, stronger, more powerful, concentrating on a limited number of specific movements, uh, and just adhering to you know, the fundamentals of training. It's like putting delicious icing on a cake made of dog shit. You're not, you know, the icing, it looks delicious, but you, you are no, the icing looks nice, but you're not going to win any baking competitions. Can you have a delicious cake without fancy icing? Absolutely. You can.
0: I like it. Go away with words, mate. Go absolute way. Soul of the poet. (laughs) Um, so where can I'm just going to round up? Where can people? I know you've mentioned it a couple of times, would be strengthcoach.com, But where's the best place for people to um, get to know more about the results that you've got online, or the blog posts, or the podcasts, or like? I mean, if stuff? it's coaches, I would say Strength Coach Network. Um, yeah, okay. that's, that's yeah. going to be
1: that. Um, I'm still. So how's that? How's that going to differ from the community? Because I realise that I've got all these all these members as part of the community, which they're they're not a rugby background and it's got to the point where i think people people see rugby strength coach community and they think it's a lot less than what it actually is and i realized okay yeah if if i am going to be working in other sports and different environments I, i should probably try and change that a little bit you know for example I, you know speaking at track football consortium nothing to do with rugby i'm going to go to argentina in april and consult with basketball so i'm kind of I'm trying to expand my horizons a little bit and yeah put it out there but i mean i, yeah, I still publish on on rugby strength coach.com uh, i would say if you're an athlete or you did want to sample more athlete kind of programs athlete topics rugby strength coach is probably the one and then social media all that kind of stuff is, is still rugby strength coach
0: Superb. Well thank you for giving up your Sunday. My pleasure. After you've come back from getting your getting your ass kicked at Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, thanks for giving up your Sunday, mate. And um, yeah, all the best and we'll we'll chat soon. Cheers, brother. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the chat with Kia. Big thanks to Kia for giving up his time for a part two, a long, long overdue part two. Um, five years in the making. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Big thanks to Val Performance, Black Box Fitness and Eccentric for sponsoring this episode today. And if you are interested in trying uh, the Strength Coach Network for $1 for 48 hours, jump over to strengthcoachnetwork.com, put in Pacey in the um, discount code box and you will get, like I say, 48 hours for $1. So you can try before you buy. So thanks for tuning in, thanks again for all your support and I'll chat to you soon.